You know, one question I often get asked is, how can I listen to ad-free shows? Well, the answer is simple. You plug directly into your normal podcast app, like Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, and you do that through an RSS link. And then you just listen like you always would, except no commercials. Here's something else you may not know. You not only get the shows early and ad-free, but you also get a ton of bonus content with adfreeshows.com. You also get early access to many of your other favorite wrestling podcasts from William Regal's new show to the road dog, Brian James to Matt Hardy and so much more starting at just $9. So quick Scott Steiner math tells us that's less than 20 cents an episode each month. See for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans have already discovered that adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling today. Check it out for yourself at adfreeshows.com. And if you're looking for the ultimate gift for the wrestling fan this Father's Day, you can now give the gift of ad-free shows. Head over to adfreegift.com right now to purchase an ad-free show subscription to get over with someone special in your life this Father's Day. That's adfreegift.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce. Welcome to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. This is Paul Bromwell, and this week's show will be unique to say the least. First, I have the unfortunate news to share that Bruce had to go under the knife this week and had rotator cuff surgery. So first and foremost, we want to wish him a speedy recovery, as I'm sure he will have a few months of rehab and recovery ahead of him. The surgery was on Wednesday this past week, so we want to pass along all our well wishes to you, Bruce, during this time. And we hope you bounce back stronger than ever. We did get to talk to Bruce prior to the surgery. And he said, well, you guys are pretty creative over there at Team Conrad. So what are we going to do about a podcast this week? And are we going to tell them about StarCast? And maybe we could give them something else to wrestle with, like maybe some new content that they haven't heard before. Well, before we jump into this week's show, yes, Bruce, we can certainly talk StarCast because it's the biggest event of the summer hell, maybe even the year. It's July 29th through 31st, and I'm telling you, 
Conrad isn't done with the guest list and experiences. He's going to continue to pile it on because that's just what he does. Of course, I'm sure you've heard about all things Ric Flair. You got the roast of Ric Flair, the epic four horsemen experience. I mean, you're getting Barry Windham, Lex Luger, plus Arn Tully, JJ Rick, and the last match of Ric Flair. You can check it all out by going to starcast.com and making your plans to be there. You might say, Paul, my summer plans aren't going to allow me to travel in Nashville. I get it. Lots of us have plans already mapped out and things like that. Listen, we got you covered there too. Check out starcastwithbruce.com. All one word, starcastwithbruce. And you can pick the package that suits you to watch the entire event exclusively on Fight TV. There's multiple packages that you can choose from. And so check that out as well. Uh, Conrad, again, just making sure that we have everything covered in terms of that experience. So we're really looking forward to that. With that, it's time to get things going. And as Bruce requested, we're going to give you all something new to wrestle with this week by way of newer wrestling content that you may or may not be familiar with. And we're going to kick things off with the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. Yes, he is a new podcast with the Podfather. And by the way, it's number one for both sports and wrestling podcasts. Just let that sink in for a minute. He's an amazing storyteller. We know that. We've seen the books that he's written. But man, he's now doing it in the podcast world, and it's just been amazing. Great reviews. So we're going to kick it off with some highlights of that show and what you can expect on the new Foley is Pod. You wrote in your book about a former WWF executive, Jim Burns, yeah. who was trying to claim that the footage from beyond the mat with, the, with your family being at ringside distraught, uh, Mr. Byrne is essentially saying that the foot, the footage was doctored. And I can't imagine that that sat very well with you, with, the, with your family being at ringside distraught. Uh, Mr. Byrne is essentially saying that the foot, the footage was doctored. And I can't imagine that that sat very well with you. Yeah, it wasn't doctored. I did know there was going to be a plastic surgeon there. Uh, this is where I was thinking about this. I was like, oh, man, I've always been uncomfortable with the term blade, right? I don't think I've ever used the term blading. And I, even in the first book, I referred to it as a small instrument of implement of de- instrument of destruction. And I said, I know that sounds a little barbaric, but sometimes, you know, we, you draw blood intentionally. And that's blading. So this is like, if there's going to be a bombshell, it would be when I had the phone call, I'm with my kids at Disneyland. I know I've got to do the uh, match with the rock Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, and otherwise, if I didn't have to get on a plane and go to Phoenix, I could have said to the kids, look, we're going to have this bad episode there, but we're going to Disney afterward. We're going to Disney. So, you know, I come back, I'm a mess. Like, Kids, don't worry about it. We're going to Disney. But instead, I've got to get on a plane and go to Phoenix. So we do the Disney stuff ahead of time. The night before um, the big match there with The Rock, the I Quit match, I talked to Russo and he tells me the plan has changed. The original plan is supposed to be Rock hits, you know, there's number five is the magic number of chair shots camera's going to show my wife and my kids and that's where the i quit comes in can't bear to have my children watching me i think to myself i don't know if this is a good idea is i don't think my kids are going to believe i'm hurt 
because for years I'd been telling them, dad's just playing. Yes. You know, no, you can't hurt dad. You know, you can't hurt dad. Just a boo-boo. Yeah, there's a thing where I go, just a little boo-boo. And Noel said, daddy, dad looks like a big boo-boo. I said, yeah, it it is, honey, it is. So this is a, this is a first time revelation because even in the, uh, the second book, fully as good. I said, Hey, look, I was already busted open from previous match. That's not true. Um, uh, when I told Vince, I said, Vince, the problem is I'm already you know, lacerated. And I wasn't whatever it is I had. I, I don't, I can't remember what it was. Surgical blade or Remington steel. I don't know. Uh, right after that phone call with Russo, man, I took that just about carved a gully in my head. So now, although what I said technically was not true, you made at the it time true. I said it, I made it true. And that's why if you look at the footage and beyond the mat and you have Francois working on me, he's trying to patch that thing up because it was just a horrific split. It was just in that moment. I was like, I, and so we decide um, to come up with plan B, which is, the pre-recorded I quit, I quit, which I thought was a pretty good plan B. Very to this day, people will go, was that actually you saying I quit? And it was like, no, that was me at Sunday Night Heat saying, uh, doing a little play on Dr. Seuss. I will not say those words. I will not say them here or there. I will not say them anywhere. I will not say those words, you twit. I will not say, I quit, I quit, I quit. And that's what they end up recording. If you look back within one or two weeks, um, Triple H uses, they use that same idea of, uh, taking a beating in front of someone as a finish. It had something to do with Triple H in China. I think he looks over China. I think Triple H ends up quitting a match so as to avoid, I have to go back and look at it, but I think they end up using that. So they liked it. They liked it, but it, there was a concern because USA executives were going to be there. It was thought to be barbaric, and it turns out it was far more barbaric the same the way it played out, right? right? Far more than five chair shots. It was 11. So going back to Jim Byrne, what I was angry about was like there was no doctored footage. The only thing I knew is that there was going to be a surgeon there. They found out. I didn't say I need a plastic surgeon. I said, I'm going to need somebody to stitch this thing up after the match. And they found a plastic surgeon to do a nice job on a head wound. Uh, so if people go back and look at, uh, that split now, you, know, you can see in the footage, you know, I'm handcuffed, right? Yeah. So the moment rock hits that thing, it just opens up and it was, it was powerful because there wasn't a person out there who can go, Oh, I saw him go. No, yeah, no there's no magic is, for that. This is the chair opening up something that I had previously, um, my, my previous handiwork, um, and that would explain why I would, I did go to Disneyland the day of the show and I go, that would explain why I had pantyhose wrapped around my head and a band, you know, bandana and all that stuff because I had this massive wound and, uh, I was like, I don't think it's going to stop. They actually wanted me to wrestle, um, Mabel that night. Um, big daddy, big daddy V viscera. Yeah. And I was like, first of all, I think the idea of going out and losing a match before, before the main event of a pay-per-view is a bad idea. Awful. Second, I think just going out and having any match before they see you is a bad idea, which is why I do the meet and greets after the show. Right. When I do these shows, because you just know that 
people are going to be most excited the first time they Correct. see you, right? Going back to when WWE used to do four episodes or five episodes of Superstar or Superstars or WCW used to do two or three tapings. By the third time they've seen you, people are noticeably less excited than they were that first time. So for a number of reasons, uh, do I want to lose? No. But do I want to wrestle Viscera at all? No. I don't think that's going to get people hyped up. And yeah. plus I said – this thing's ready to go, man. I, I I can't be bleeding buckets on a Sunday night heat match with Viscera if I'm going to take on The Rock. So I will uncat. Well, again, I guess I'm not uncategor. I'm not. I'm not categorically denying it. I'm saying we had a plastic surgeon because it was known that I was uh, had this head wound issue, but the head wound was self. <laughs> self-inflicted in a hotel room. I wasn't expecting that type of blood loss, you know? So here I am. I think we were in a nice hotel because when I had the family with me, we'd been in a nice hotel and all of a sudden it's, this is more than I counted on. This is worse than I wanted to Your do. Your family's in the room with you when it happened? They were sleeping, I believe sleeping. So I've got to stop. That would have been a panic. Got to stop sure. the blood loss. Uh, there was another time, um, this is going back, uh, and I want to maybe incorporate the this into future shows because I have so much fun when I do the shows when I talk about the January 10th match with Terry Funk because just doing the Terry voice, it makes me happy. Yeah. And if fans are watching and they see that I love doing it, they're going to be more prone to loving it. Um, but the issue I had is that, man, I was so banged up after that, you know, that barbed wire match with Terry uh, maybe not as banged up as I was eight months later at the King of the Death Match tournament, but I was like, okay, I'm in the bathroom. I'm I've got more gauze on me than Boris Karloff in the original Universal Mummy movie. I look ridiculous, and so I'm in the bathroom at the airport in Tokyo. <laughs> Let me take this bandage off, and I take the bandage off, and I this all but spurts out. At oh wow. <laughs> Gusher going on. Tracy Smothers was there. He's trying to he's trying to put stuff on there. And I've got to go catch my plane. And I got blood pouring down my face. He's putting the pressure on Those there. Those four other passengers. Oh man, man! I yeah. think I did get cleaned up. You know, pretty good. But that woman who had the the woman who eventually had to sit next to me <laughs> on the way home from uh, the King of the Deathmatch tournament. She's looking, and my arm's starting to turn color because I've been burned. I can't take a shower because I've got 42 stitches and oh. seven different body parts. They don't want you to take a shower. I've got all this matted blood. You probably smell like I C4. I smell like, yeah, it's burnt hair, charred flesh. I smell awful. And she gets up to take a powder from uh, – I got called up at the airport. I said, um, Foley, Michael, and they give me a business class ticket. This is, uh, I never happened before or since. It's actually my first, uh, this, no, no, this was my probably eighth or ninth tour for IWA Japan. Never flew business, always in coach. And they're, hand, so they're handing me a business class ticket. So I sit down and a poor woman next to me is all, all but convulses. She gets up, I believe, to use the restroom. After about 30 minutes, she hasn't returned. I look to the back and, 
this is Conrad where I love the idea that I can, this is my interpretation of reality. Was she in a fetal position? <laughs> hands pulled in prayer? Probably not, but she was definitely in a coach class seat. She would rather sit coach. I, I sit coach and sit next to me. Which is a very expensive uh, fare if you've never all, priced it's a it. big difference, right? Thousands of Thousands dollars. of dollars extra. And I was like, she would rather sit and coach and sit with me. And I took that as the highest form of flattery. You could stretch out even more. Oh, man, it was great. <laughs> and to have that power to repel women. Because I'd been married for a while at that time. I was like, okay, I don't think I have it anymore. And in 95, oh, yeah, yeah, five years into the marriage. I can still repulse the average woman. It's uh, it's the opening scene of Howard Stern's Private Parts movie, where the lady seated on the airplane. That's is right. Like, yeah. Well, who is this? And well, he's not bloody, but you get through. But is there still that part of him that is that unloved kid, right, in Roosevelt High School who mm-hmm. didn't fit in, never felt he was cool, and even though he makes it big on that plane he sees that woman looking at him and he's still the kid who wasn't good enough you know it's been said you know i think it was raven who was the first person to say like there's something wrong with all of us none of of us dress up in tights and you know uh, uh engage in this crazy fantasy warfare which can be very real at times in order to win the uh win the love of total strangers Unless you're lacking somewhere in your childhood. So well, there's a performer bug, you know, whether yeah, it's yeah, stand-up yeah. comedians or wrestling or, yeah, there's something that we're trying to well, prove. Well, look, there's this, not to go to the friends well too often, but Bruce Willis had one of these great uh, guest roles on Friends in which he's this stoic guy. He is the father of the student who Ross is. Dating, doesn't like it, comes in, asserts his will, starts dating the Jennifer Aniston character of Rachel on Friends. And she's trying to get him to open up. And he, no, nothing there, nothing there. And then he finally confides in her that his family was too poor to get a big wheel. Mm -hmm. And they got him something uh, that was like a chicken mobile. And now the guy breaks down. He goes, he used to call me the chicken man. And now she can't get him to stop crying right. because she's opened up, you know, that, that wound. So it's kind of the same thing with the guy, the, the men out there, you know, men and women who are looking for something they didn't have. Yeah. We, we want to perform, but we're also looking, looking for that support. So now my friend D Snyder, D and I have been tight for a long time. He, he says the same thing. Like you, he said, I think he wrote in his book. He did a really good job, wrote his own book. And he talked about being a lead singer or being a musician in general. He's like, you don't get the microphone, stand up in front of a room of strangers and say like, I'm worth listening to uh, because you're going to get the crap beaten out of you emotionally. We're talking about. Sure. So last, this is interesting. And uh, stop me if you think I go off on too many tangents. But last night after I did the meet and greet, the manager was really happy. He's a former, he's still a stand-up comic. Great and he guy. said, yeah, great guy. And he, uh, and I'm relaying to him, uh, oh, a subject of Bobcat Goldthwait comes up. And I said, tell Bobcat Goldthwait, he's going to be there next month. Tell him I loved World's Greatest Father with Robin Williams. It's a very dark comedy, but man, it's a great, it's just a great role. And it's really hit me hard. You know, one of the great, uh, speeches to me in cinematic history where Robin Williams is talking about his son who's taken on this cult-like 
fame in the aftermath of a suicide uh, by sexual asphyxiation, <laughs> which Robin Williams has doctored to make it look like his son was, you know, too long for the world, too sensitive. He writes the suicide note and this kid takes on a uh, popularity he never had in, uh, in life. In life. And so now the people have got shirts and the kid is super over and Robin Williams is giving like the speech at the big, you know, uh, memorial. He goes, my son. And he realized he's gone too far with this. He goes, my son was a douchebag. <laughs> he opens up about what an awful human being his son was. But he says, but I, but I loved him. And, and so, in, so he's trying to say, He's not who you think he was. Yeah. But everybody, despite their frailties and their faults, deserves to be loved. And yes. it's just really powerful. Yeah, I'm getting these, you know, the things are on the scalp, you know, when you get the emotional. So that's happening to me now. Um, so so I said, why do you think it is? Uh, I said, he's he was so manic and crazy on stage, Bobcat Goldthwait as a comedian. Uh, and for people who never saw his stuff, just think of him. Bobcat Goldthwait was the guy that Bill Murray fired in Scrooge. Yes. So he's essentially doing his stand-up in that character. And it was one of those you either like him or you didn't. I did like him. I did too. But I thought it was really uh, noteworthy that when it comes to writing, being a writer and a director, he would gravitate to much darker, more serious material. And so now I'm, I'm I'm telling the guy about a discussion I had on the Opie and Anthony show. Those guys were super over at one time. Oh yeah, you know it's a shame. You know, uh, you know it ended with a racial thing, and Anthony got fired. Uh, you know, for going on a tirade on social media. But one time, those guys were really, really over. Yeah. And I thought, to me, they would hand you the ball and let you run with it. You know, they weren't afraid of letting the stars the guy shine on there. So I'd been in the studio a bunch of times. They really liked having me there. I was used to seeing big stars come in and interacting with them, but Cheech and Chong come in and I don't know what to say. I feel like I'm out of my element and Cheech finally, or maybe it was Tom. One of them goes, Hey, what, who, who's this guy? Why doesn't he have anything to say? So Opie goes, this is Mick Foley. He's one of the great wrestlers gets Chong talking about his days growing up watching stampede wrestling, which is really cool. Yeah. But they said, why don't you, don't you have anything to say? So I said to Cheech, I said, why is it you think so many great comics become great dramatic actors? And he was like, Oh, that is a good question. He said, because in order to have that, you know, degree of, you know, whether you're, you're a manic comic or you're just finding the humor and things like there's got to be a yin to that yang or a yang to that yin. Like you have to almost have to have a little darker side in order to really embrace that comical side. So last night when I was talking to the, to the manager, he said, comics can become good act, dramatic actors. But dramatic actors very rarely become good comics, he said, because being a comic requires timing. And getting the knack for timing requires getting the crap beaten out of you emotionally along the way. And so someone can get the crap beaten out of emotionally, work on being that great guy on stage, and then embrace that darker part. But it's really hard to get a good actor to go back and be willing to take that pounding emotionally in front of a live crowd as they learn the craft. And I thought, 
that's really interesting and really yeah. telling. But you look at a lot of the uh, great comics who become actors and they go, of course, Tom Hanks would do Bosom Buddies and, the, you know, the, he did a couple of like wacky comedies. But you'd be hard pressed to find people who remember that Tom Hanks was a great stand up sure. comic because he's been such a great dramatic actor. Steve Martin, you know, he did the jerk coming out of the gate, which I think was a great, great movie. And he's reverted back and he's done Sergeant Bilko and a couple of crazy things. But by and large, he's known as a great dramatic actor. Yeah. And Robin Williams was the same way. You know, he had this manic energy and he was able to harness that and do these great roles, you know, as world's greatest dad or his role in, um, oh, I'm trying to think of one with uh, Robert De Niro. Awakenings was really good. Kurt Angle told me about traveling with Robin Williams um, overseas to do shows for the troops. Mm. And he was like, I had to pretend to be asleep because he always felt like he needed to be on. Yes. And I think he'd still be alive if he learned that he didn't need to be on. He didn't need to please everybody at all times. He didn't need to be the life of the party on the plane to Iraq. That's the crazy pressure. Yeah, crazy pressure. But Kurt also said it was really interesting to see him form the show. He would go out and he would have X number of minutes he would do. And then based on things that they saw and did, he would now write new material for that day and it would grow. So, uh, I know we're a long way from where we were. I don't even know where our <laughs> jumping off point was. We're probably regretting the decision to do this stuff with me. Oh, no, I'm, not at all. I, but I I'm a rambler, right? No, this is great stuff, man. People want the Foley experience. And they're, and they're getting, getting it, right? Hey, baby. Vince hated the fact that I went on and uh, promoted Beyond the Mat. He hated the movie. Um Originally, they were involved. That's how they got access to the footage. They got, yeah. Maybe they got wind of what it was going to look like, or they got a rough cut, and that all stopped very quickly. Vince is a real believer in the magic. Um, I'll argue that the uh, the video that WWE put out, um, I think it was 2004 when Brock and Kurt had their match in Seattle and when Brock uh, landed on his head on the yep. Shooting Star Press with the dual storylines. Oh, three. Oh, three. Okay. So, yeah, it was just uh, four years after Beyond the Mat. Uh, the dual storylines were uh, Brock and Kurt, Rock and Steve. And I thought that was that was unveiling the magic. And I thought that was in its own way darker than Beyond the Mat. So it's his prerogative. This is his company. If, 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 and especially if that's the way the story goes – it becomes that you can't, you could, I guess, conceivably through editing, make a dark story happy. But that was a sad story. Steve almost, you know, I don't want to say almost died, but he was in the emergency room the night before because he felt so much pressure. And at that time, uh, I can't remember the substance that was in the energy drinks, which you get GNC. It wasn't like it was anything illegal. Yeah. But like a lot of us in wrestling, you know, we don't draw people who do moderation well. Right. Because uh, I joke around about the instantaneous Foley risk-reward ratio analysis, but if any of us actually had a risk-reward ratio analysis about the wisdom of getting in a business that's almost guaranteed to break you physically and is 100% guaranteed to break you down emotionally, uh, and knowing that the chances of making it big are ultra slim, and even after you make it big, who would sign up? Who would sign up, right? But we're all chasing this dream. Ephedrine. Ephedrine was the stuff. There you go. So instead of Steve having one energy drink, he probably may have overdone it, 
and he was an all-day coffee guy anyway, like a lot of people in WWR. And man, his, his heart didn't react well to it. He didn't know what the heck was going on. He thought he was having a heart attack. And to me, that's a, that's a heavy storyline. Uh, I thought, um, is it as heavy as what Jake went through in uh, Beyond the Mat? Uh, no, or maybe not. But I thought it was heavy in its own way. But Vince thought it was taking the magic away. He thought it was a good movie. He told Barry Boston, it's a good movie. It's not the movie that I would have made. He was uncomfortable with a lot of the stuff. We all like to have a good time and go out and enjoy a few drinks. There's nothing wrong with that. Listen, I've got more than one wedding to go to soon. And despite all the champagne I'll be drinking, I'm actually looking forward to brunch the next day because I've had my Z-Biotics with me. Z-Biotics Pre-Alcohol Probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle those rough mornings after drinking. And here's how it works. When you drink alcohol, it gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's just what it does. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Z-Biotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut where you need it most. Just remember to drink Z-Biotics before drinking alcohol. Remember, kids before drinking alcohol, then drink responsibly and get a good night's sleep to feel your best tomorrow. Every time I have Z-Biotics before drinking, it makes such a difference the next day. Even after drinks the night before, I know I'll be able to get on that work Zoom call without the bloodshot eyes and massive headache. I'm telling you, this is the real deal. So give Z-Biotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com forward slash wrestle, that's the key, to get 15% off your first order when you use wrestle at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Now that's a deal. And July 4th is right around the corner, so order a pack of Z-Biotics for you and your friends today to make sure you get it on time. You're going to be the hero, ladies and gentlemen. Remember to head to zbiotics.com. That's Z-B-I-O-T-I-C-S dot com slash wrestle and use the code wrestle at checkout for 15% off. And thank you, Z-Biotics, for sponsoring this episode. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Do you think the difference is he owned the rock footage and he put it out and he released it and he was in control versus the other? Yeah, Vince doesn't like to relinquish control. I mean, that was some of the issues I had with him. Uh, You know, you sign over a lot of your rights when you sign that contract. But of all things, a novel was what sidelined our, you know, our relationship for a year and a half because that I had the freedom to do that with anyone. And I just didn't want a WWE label on it. I essentially wanted to make my own solo album, you know, like, 
and they should have just understood, I'm a WWE guy, let Mick do, go and write his thing. It turns out it wasn't a big success anyway. I mean, I'm really proud of the I two. I bought it. Thank you. Thank you, Conrad. And I think it was really good storytelling. Yeah. So let's talk about just the very beginning of, of your introduction to what this New York thing is going to look like. Yeah. When JR first mentions The Undertaker, yeah. is that... I mean, listen, you had been in a big-time program with Vader, and you had been in a big-time program with Sting, and, you know, obviously he's doing his thing now. But, boy, he was the standard bearer for sure, WCW. Yeah, he was yeah. there, Hulk Hogan. And, you know, the Cactus Jack persona and Sting, I mean, they just went together as a perfect heel and mm-hmm. baby face. And, but this is maybe more up your alley, a beloved character that is a little darker and more sinister, not the blonde hair and neon colors. Were you excited about The Undertaker, or did you think, well, does that mean I'm going to be Kamala and King Kong Bundy and Giant Gonzalez? Or what was your initial response, do you think? I, I didn't think I was getting my hand raised. Yeah. You know, I, I thought I was coming in to do... I always believed that I could get over without going over. Yeah. Going back to what Corny and, and uh, Kevin did for me um, uh, by, by assaulting my tag team partners after our matches... I always believed that I didn't need the win to uh, make an impression. To make an impression. Now, there's a point where you you stretch that uh, philosophy a little too far. If you never win, then the fans are not going to believe you are a credible threat. So you have to pile up enough wins, and also at that time, create injury and mayhem. There was actually the threat of danger when certain heels. We're in the arena. Um, Bruiser Brody. Yeah, yeah. So now I I believe, can you imagine if Abby was uh, Abdullah the Butcher? If Abby was in a position where the organization insisted that he go for a cover after every move. Uh, yeah. It wasn't that Abdullah the Butcher was a great competitor looking to score a victory over the best and to prove himself to be the best in the business. He was looking to kill you. That's yes. what people thought. when Even... Even when uh, you know the process of wrestling, you know, was was largely known, I would say people still pe- afraid Abdullah. People still feared certain guys, and so I wanted to be that guy who caused people in the building or watching TV to go, "Okay, I know most of wrestling is what it is, but that guy, oh, that guy's real." And so I wanted that element of danger, and. Oh, man, my confidence was really, it was really high because I felt like I had a great, a very good track record, not only of having good matches, but of making the guys I worked with just a little bit better off when I had left. And that was my goal. And I don't know if that's the goal of that many people, especially of my era. I couldn't tell you what the younger guys, uh, the generation of today thinks. Uh, I think most of the guys want to tear down the house. But there's a difference between tearing down the house and elevating your opponent, even when your opponent is already higher than you are. So to come into a program, almost inevitably know you're going to be on the losing end and still believe you can elevate that person and elevate yourself simultaneously. It's it's a pretty difficult trick to pull off, but I felt that in spite of my limited genetic hand, that that was something I, uh, you know, that was that was one of my strong suits. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, cash and creative. That's what Jr. says. It always comes down to in his years of talent relations. It's always one of the two C's, Connie, cash and creative. But I imagine that which one is more important sometimes changes based on where you are in life 
And so when you walked away from your bigger deal with WCW, uh, and we're hoping to maybe carve out your own niche, uh, so to speak, maybe like an Abdul, the butcher or a bruiser, the Brody, and maybe that would be create more creatively fulfilling. There's also the, you're the primary wage earner, your dad, yeah. you got kids at home. Was there a point while you're, you know, trying to make it work on independence and, and getting burnt up and working ECW where you or the wife think, you know, I know both C's are important, but maybe a little more cash, a little less creative. They were they. I want. I needed to make money. Needed to uh, pay the mortgage. My take wife, care of the fam. Take care of the family. But I was really, really. Um, I'd say primarily, I wanted to make an impact. Yeah. Um, and the fact that I made almost as much uh, in the year that followed WCW that meant a lot to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as we speak now, we're a couple weeks out, maybe from when uh, Cody Rhodes um, parted ways with AEW. But I think people should give Cody uh, a lot of credit for leaving WWE on his own yep. because he believed that he was capable of more and than he was. creative. And he was. So I applaud anybody who goes out there and makes themselves more valuable without the national TV uh, machine behind them. The Young Bucks did it. Uh, uh, Kenny Omega did Kenny it. Kenny Omega did it. Uh, well, I would say Kenny didn't have the national platform like a WCW, WWE, but he did have the opportunity to go there and said, yeah. no, I'm good. Yeah. And that's great for business. Vince needs to hear that more often. You know, whether it's Vince or Triple H hearing the, you know, actually, I'm good where I am. I like that. But... Uh, but even those guys who are giving up the potential for bigger money, they need to make some money too. Uh, I felt like I was going to be okay. I never questioned the money. I never questioned it. I thought the high end of what you could make was uh, for, for about four hundred grand for a guy like me. And if I could have gotten four hundred grand, you know, for a three or four year run, I thought with the standard of living I had at the time, that was gonna that was gonna be pretty good because I was gonna save. Whatever it was, I didn't have to give to Uncle Sam. You know, we were going to save for for a rainy day. Uh, so I was concerned with the money, but not as concerned as I was about making an impact. I'm curious when you said, you know, if I could make 400 grand for three years, did you go in thinking this has an endpoint? I mean, a, a lot of guys when they start wrestling or they have success in traditional sport, they think it's going to last forever. At that point, you'd been in the business for a while. Did you think, maybe, maybe I'll get three years out of this? Well, I was pretty realistic about what I wanted to do physically. You know, I think uh, you know experts at the time would have already predicted my oh, <laughs> yeah. demise. And so I knew I was fighting the clock. Uh, I was really grateful when uh, Jerry Briscoe sat me down and... Uh, uh, he asked me that first day that I was uh, that I was ready to make my my uh, my actual debut on TV. Uh, asked me what move I thought I could do the Undertaker, and I said I can drop an elbow off a TV truck. And he said, "We know you do some wild things. There may come a time when we ask you to do that, but until we ask you to do that." Please, you know, he told me to hold back. So I ended up dropping an elbow off the ring apron, and it looked great. Undertaker sold it big time. Like, we didn't need an elbow off the TV truck because 
which I, which I still want to do, by the way. Even if it's not in a match, I still want to drop an elbow off a TV truck because of the camera shot. Oh, it'd be unbelievable. And it was, you want me to set the scenario for sure. the TR? This is, I first pitched it, and I would write things out in WCW, you know, longhand, and then I would pay somebody to type it up, and it would be three, 4,000 words of description. Oh, wow. So I wanted to have the Falls Count Anywhere match with Vader as a payoff for our big feud. And I wanted there to be a double arm DDT on the hood of a car. Boom. Vader stays in the hood of the car. The force of the DDT, you know, flips me off the car. So you see Leon, and now we got the camera shot, you know, and it's like, here's Leon on the hood. Camera's looking up towards the TV truck. But we don't know the TV truck's coming into play. So now I roll under the TV truck, at which point there's a ladder there, so I can climb that thing. And then we're going back, and they're showing the replays, and... I, most of the time, I had Jim Ross in my head when it came to things I was planning. And then it was like, for the love of God, I don't know if he said that. He's on the truck. He's on the truck. What would make that elbow so great is that you could mess with the shocks. You could loosen them up. And then when I hit that thing, it's it's like got a natural give to it, yes. at least enough. Boom. And, it's, and it would look like I was sailing right into people's living rooms because of the camera shot. That low angle shot and the hood of the car with the the shock, yeah, yeah, make it bounce and yeah, right. And um, I wanted to uh, get the fall in a like in a doorway, Uh, and then the controversy would be it was falls count anywhere in the building, and Leon's shoulders were outside the building. That's tremendous. Something along those lines. So that was the one I always wanted to drop. I wanted to drop it on the Undertaker, but instead I came out of the crowd um yeah and i dropped it or out of the crowd or down the aisle i can't remember which and dropped a really nice elbow while simultaneously fighting for breath with that restrictive mankind mask which i hated this year it's time to get off the couch and get back into the bedroom blue shoe can help guys we know that confidence can take you far in life and when you feel confident you're at your best especially when it comes time to step up to the plate that's where blue shoe comes in Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. You can take these dudes anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, the process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part. It's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. And guys have heard the lady say there's nothing sexier than confidence. Well, Blue Chew can help give you that confidence you need where it counts. And if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code wrestle at checkout, just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is wrestle to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank bluechew for sponsoring today's podcast. So you talked a little bit about the difference between the ropes and we fans have heard over the years that the WWF used real actual ropes that were maybe wrapped in tape or painted or what have you. And then WCW, it was a cable with like, almost like a garden hose around it. Kind of. Yeah. A rubber coating over what we thought were elevator cables. 
And that's pretty much standard for uh, every Most promotion that way, yeah. except for WWE using the ropes. Some promotions may buy an old boxing ring. Uh, so here and there across the country or the world, there might be wrestling rings with ropes. But by and large, the WWE is the promotion that uses ropes. Did you have a preference, cables or ropes? Once I got used to the ropes, I liked the ropes. Um, I just saw uh, within the past few days um, X-Pac uh, stating a preference for the 18-foot rings with the uh, with the cables because he thought it kept the action going. So, As opposed to a 20-foot Yeah, I, I think that the 20-footer, it's... I think it looks better on TV, and it uh, makes WWE stand out as the one company with the 20-foot ring. Um, but it feels like you're running through the Sahara Desert the first time you're in there. Those extra two feet might as well be two extra miles. It seems like you will never get there, and you have to you adjust your steps. Guys are so used to doing things a certain way. Instead of three steps, it's four Maybe, or five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the ropes, I'd say, yeah, given my choice, I'd rather do the hangman in the ropes, but it's still, still tight, still. Did any, um, you know, these days we hear a lot of wrestlers talk to the younger generation and say, oh, you don't want to do this and you don't want to do that. Did anybody come to you in that era and say, mm, I don't know about that hangman spot cactus? Un, no, I'd say unlike the, the stuff that I did, the elbow and the backdrops on the floor where I'd be warned and reprimanded, I, I think, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, by basis of Robert Fuller, ooh, good old school spot, Jacko, that it, it, they liked the idea that somebody was doing one of their, their spots. Uh, on the um, uh, my A&E biography, Rick mentioned that uh, Dory Funk Jr. used to do that with his foot. Uh, Adrian Adonis used to do a, he used to get knocked out, take a clothesline backwards with both his arms in there and get both arms done. But I've been with Like Andre. Good, yeah, like Andre. Well, but differently. And I, uh, Andre would get him tied up like this. Yes. Adrian would take the clothesline over the top rope. Oh, I see. And come up. And I remember years and years ago being with some good uh, pros and all trying to figure out how Adrian did it. And we, we couldn't get it. We couldn't get it. So mine is, you know, I say it's simple in that this is what you do, second rope over the top rope. But it's a matter of timing. It's a matter of being willing to hang in there enough to long enough to make the move meaningful. And then you got to, you have to sell it. Uh, I will come out of my easy chair and drive down to whatever arena (laughs) someone is performing at. If I see someone no-selling, the hangman because it's uh yeah it's it's believable right sure. it's, it should be believable uh, there's a lot i've got a believable injury to show for it and you just want to make sure people treat that respectfully yeah um but yeah that was that was a that was a i didn't use it so much that it wasn't a surprise but it was there for for me on a special occasion which i thought that night in germany was so you had done this move for years at that point, including, it sounds like, Continental, because you mentioned the Fullers. Yeah, yeah. Did you do it in world class? Uh, I did it in world class uh, because Chris Adams had seen me do it when uh, Watts was running those uh, shows. Uh, so Chris loved the move. I did it in Continental. I did it in world class. 
Uh, I'm not sure if I did it my first run with WCW, but I used it many times, especially at house shows. Yeah. At house shows, it was a great house show pop. And looking back on it, it's like, well, should I have been, you know, a great house show pop versus a four-hour emergency room stay? Like, and looking back on it, probably not a good move. But, you know, when I was working with guys like Steamboat, who had worked with the best in the world, like, I wanted something that I could do, especially given that I, you know, I didn't have the uh, gas tank that uh, some of the guys that he worked with uh, had, you know, not- I'm notably I'm thinking of Rick. Sure. And uh, and uh, I didn't want to disappoint Ricky. Ricky, when I was working with him, had injured ribs, too, that we were working around. And so I was trying to have good matches that would, you know, live up to Steamboat's standards. And that Make was... Make an impression. Yeah, that was one of, the, uh, one of the moves that I would throw in. So you mentioned a four-hour emergency room visit. Was that protocol? If you got one, if you felt one of those splits in your ear, you know you're going to the ER. If it was bad enough, if it was bad enough, uh, or it might just depend on you know who. What I could was, they do at that point? I'm not saying that to be silly, but what is there to do? With they that they stitch it up. I see. Yeah, so it was usually, I'd say in the twelve to sixteen stitches range. Oh my! So uh, I think you could say, well, look, you know. Uh, I probably should have taken that item off the menu. <laughs> so you slept on your left side that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the the difference between going to the emergency room and not going to the emergency room might not be based on the wound itself, but might be based on whether or not you were taken off for the next town that night. If I you see. were riding with someone. So ice and uh, peroxide, whatever you could find, uh, new skin burned, uh Rubbing alcohol burned, peroxide bubbled up, uh, and then sometimes they would. I I would tend to it myself. Sometimes Gary Michael Capetta's mom would tend to it. Sometimes a nurse backstage would do a little something, and sometimes it was bad enough I'd go to the ER. So let's talk about how we got here. The event is March sixteenth, nineteen ninety four. You're in Germany to take on Vader. Uh, but let's talk about just those WCW European tours. Yeah. This is a time where here domestically, frankly, the house show business is not what we would call strong. Mm-hmm. But it seems like when you go overseas, you're going to have a much bigger house. But, boy, it was uh, a different way of life compared to, quote, unquote, making towns here in America, was it not? Yeah, yeah. I, w- I never really liked I like the freedom of being in a rental car. Mm-hmm. That's part of what I loved about uh, wrestling. I loved making the towns, for the most part. And uh, in WCW, uh, my first year there, until Abdullah and company parted ways, I was with Abdullah. Uh, they waived the you know, th- three wrestler limit. You know, you had to have a minimum of three. For me and Abby, they let us go two, and they let me uh, rent a, a caddy. So I haven't rented a caddy since '91 <laughs> because you know it's it's not in the it's not in the budget. Um, but so we I enjoyed riding with Abby. I enjoyed making those towns. I did not I didn't enjoy being with the group all the time, 24 seven. That's too much. I'm, I'm I love the boys and the women, but I'm kind of a loner. You know, I, I like my hotel room. You know, I like my long drives. Um, so it was different, and also not. Uh, we were doing some uh, some shows in eastern, the old eastern Germany, which was it was 
run down. It was d- dirtier. It wasn't real cheerful, you know, when you're doing... You weren't in a tourist town. Right. We weren't in a tourist town. You know, we did, we did the tour of Dresden, you know, because of its, uh, you know, uh, it's a famous, famous city in the course of human events. Um, but coming back to Munich, Munich is a western town, um, it still had this feeling of dreariness to it. You know, the, the whole tour did. Uh, I think it had that feeling of dreariness for me because I had worked so diligently on my German, made it clear to the powers that be that I could cut promos in German and do interviews in German. And this is where you, you read the writing on the wall. When one by one, the WCW stars are being brought onto TV shows and whatnot, and here's the guy who worked on the German, speaks to German, cuts by, and you're not using him. I, I thought I was an intentional. You know, this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna risk sounding bitter, but if I uh, but if I'm gonna be honest, I was I was bitter about it. I felt uh, you know I was, I was bitter enough about it, uh, and felt slighted enough that I gave my notice after this incident. This is where I read really read the writing on the wall. And thought, man, oh, this is wrestling. This is the one line of business where losing an ear is not only not a bad thing, but it could be a great thing. It doesn't matter that Leon did not actively help me get out or that he did not actively put me in there. I was in a match with Vader where my ear was ripped off my head, and that's uh, that seems like a, as much as close to a license to print money in WCW as we had. It didn't matter that we worked eight, six months earlier on a pro. This is, boom, this is new, coming out of the gates hot. And when I saw none of that happening in the buildup and none of that in the aftermath, and then given the, the conversation I had with Rick on the night of the show, which was that they were going to turn me back heel. So the night of the event, yeah, you met with Rick, I assume, before. Yeah, before. And does this happen in the arena? It's in the arena, yeah, yeah. And so we had he a comes long... over and says, hey, Cactus, I want to talk to you. Yeah, sort of we had a long talk, and it was based almost exclusively around, and this is what I took from it. Right? Rick might have another, you know, he might say, no, this here was the basis of the conversation. What I took from it almost exclusively was that the beatings I had taken at the hands of Vader, uh, Rick said they're most brutal beatings he'd seen, didn't result in a jump in the ratings. This is a time when they're judging the ratings not by 15-minute increments, but by two-hour ratings. And you and I discussed before that we shouldn't be so beholden to the ratings, that they might tell a different tale, and you can't tell what percentage of those people are into it on a 2 on a scale of 1 to 10 or into it on a 10. Yes. And if you're losing some of the 1s and 2s, but you're gaining more of the 8s and 9s and 10s who are heavily into it, it's something that I could see and feel when I was out there. Like, I felt like I was one of the top guys in the company. And I felt like the babyface run had worked and that I could work with just about anybody in the company and have a good match. Uh, at the time, they were now teaming me up with uh, uh, Max Payne. And I liked Max, but I also understood it was a little bit of a, a step down from those main event probes, sure. which I was okay with because I'd watched a lot of wrestling uh, especially basing it on the old WWF I used to watch. And you realize that guys 
you know, take a step down and be in a program, and then all they need is the right angle to boost them back up. Right. So I wasn't as concerned about the push until Germany, until I, until the, it was kind of the trifecta. One is, uh, now as I'm saying trifecta, there might only be two, but one was the complete lack of, um, uh, Use of my, you know, skills I brought to the table in Germany, and I guess the bi- the big one was refusing to do anything with the ear. With the ear, which just seemed. But what did Rick say afterwards? Well, he said, "Well, you know, he just said you're a heel." He and then, but is the basis of saying I was a heel was that? Uh, I mean, I could say, "Hey, just listen to the fans; they're behind this thing." Uh, but the main thing was the ratings. You know, science tells us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering our core body temperature. And if you've ever lived in the South, you know what we're talking about. You've got a ceiling fan in your bedroom, right? And if you're like me, you used to crank down the AC just to get the house nice and cool. Cause you knew you slept better. Well, it turns out we were onto something. Temperature controlled sleep repairs your muscles after a hard day's work. It improves your cognitive function to strengthen your athletic readiness that's why this Memorial Day, Chili Sleep is working with veteran organizations to support our hero sleep and recovery too. Chili Sleep makes customizable climate-controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well-being. These water-based temperature-controlled mattress toppers fit over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. It's like a smart thermostat for your bed. Their cooling technology leverages water's amazing thermal powers for deep restorative sleep. They're designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. And recently, Chili Sleep partnered with the Independence Fund for Memorial Day to donate sleep systems and show gratitude to our veterans. Plus, U.S. military and veterans can get special savings at checkout through Memorial Day weekend. Speaking of Memorial Day weekend, I got to tell you, I did not. I know this sounds crazy for me to say here. I did not get the great night's sleep I hoped for one night. Now, Chili Sleep has been a game changer in my life, but it turns out I forgot to put some more water in there. So I wasn't as cool and didn't sleep as well, and I couldn't figure it out the next day. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's because I didn't have enough water in my Chili Sleep. I put the Chili Sleep back in it, right? I put the water back in it, rather. The next night, man, back to normal. I don't know how I ever lived without Chili Sleep. I was miserable just sleeping the way you do right now without Chili Sleep. Once I've had this thing, buddy, I am so spoiled I cannot recommend this enough. I, I went from sleeping six hours a night and kind of tossing and turning and fighting with my pillow. to I'm sleeping seven, eight, nine. I even hit 10 hours once. And I, I can't tell you what it's like to wake up and not be tired. I know because of chili sleep. Now I know I can't go back. Uh, chili sleep, man, it's changed my life. Sincerely. I cannot recommend this enough. This is an investment in your well-being, and it is so well worth it. I have multiples. Everyone in my family has them now. Head over to chilisleep.com forward slash wrestle to learn more and save 30% off the purchase of any new Cube or Uller sleep system. This offer is available especially for something to wrestle with listeners and only for a limited time. That's chili, C-H-I-L-I, sleep.com slash wrestle to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up feeling refreshed every day. I can't even imagine dealing with the pain of having half my ear ripped off. What an amazing storyteller. I told you. He is just incredible. There's no doubt about why there's such a buzz around Foley's pod right now. So make sure you check it out. 
And we're going to keep moving on this week to another new wrestling podcast that is also soaring up the charts. And if you didn't know, well, your ass better call somebody. That's right. It's the road dog, Brian James, along with his co-host, Ryan Katz, as they take you on a journey through road dogs career each and every week. The only way the dog can it's entertaining. I'm telling you, you're going to laugh. You may cry as well. He's got a lot of great stories. And we have some of the highlights for you now, including the road dog responding to some Dave Meltzer criticisms. I could have worked with anybody. It would have been the cruiserweights. Um, I would have just been their base for everything, um, except for if it was a moonsault off a cage, and I'm not catching you. Um, that's for those of you that know. Oh, wait, yeah. I would, I'm going to bring something up. For those of that. you that I know, you're welcome. I remember a moment that you had to catch Cody. I think you and Billy had to catch Cody Rhodes. Yeah. Off the top of a cage, and I don't think you guys caught him. And Dusty was pissed. Yes, Dusty was pissed. (laughs) Dusty said something. Look, I told uh, there's a long story behind that, and I'm not going to get into it now. But I told him I'm not going to catch you like a like we're you know what I mean uh, in a '69. (laughs) I'm not going to catch you like that perfectly. I probably shouldn't have said that, but anyway. And and he said, "All I need you to do is stick your arm out there," and I said. I'll do that. Uh, and, and really the cut, they cut to a different camera. It like looked great. Uh, but yeah, Dusty was pissed. And I, I mean, and, and when I went to NXT, not long after that, he apologized to me. And that's the truth. Dusty said, Hey man, it's my baby boy. And I, I said, Dusty, you don't have to apologize to me. I totally understand. I, I'm I know they're working with the prince. <laughs> yeah. You're working with the prince, baby. And, and, and I knew I was. And, and, and that's, and that's, you know, that's what it is. And so I had no problem with Dusty wanting to protect his child and and being interested in his child's safety. You know what I mean? Like when you get down right down to it, it's okay, Dusty. I appreciate you loving me. You know what I mean? Enough to talk to me and, and let's have this conversation. So, yeah, that was cool. All right. Right after this, at the DX pay-per-view, you and Billy defend the tag titles again against LOD. And you retain after a DQ when Hawk uses Henry Godwin's slot bucket. And attacks you both. <laughs> it makes you laugh thinking about it. Yeah. Talk to me about this. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, look, I loved. Uh, I loved Henry Godwin. I still do. I saw him at uh, WrestleCon uh-huh. um, uh, a week or two ago, and uh, man, saw him and 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 uh, Phineas yeah. Pig. Uh, what, what great guys! So yeah, I always loved working around and with them. But yeah, he for real. He hit us with a hit. Me, hit I think he hit me or. He hit me so hard I don't remember. Uh, but but hit one of us with a slop bucket. We got uh, they got DQ'd. We hold on to the titles. To me, that's and we were heels at the time. Like it, it, you know, once we joined DX, things happened and and uh, you know uh, we moved over to the babyface category. But 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 we were heels at the time. And so to to scoop that up and to run out of there and to uh, I forgot what we were talking about. Tell you the truth, Ryan. I'm. That's all right. We're talking slap bucket and all. Slap bucket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, I, slap bucket. Remember, he hit me real hard. So it's bong, <laughs> bong resin, chair shots, and slap buckets. Um, but yeah, so so I liked. How do you protect your guys, uh, your big baby faces that are the road warriors? You know what I mean. You have them go so physically crazy that it uh, that they get disqualified. They're not in control but, of themselves. Right, right. And that and and people can understand that. You ever got so mad and done something you wish you hadn't? Well, that's what 
That's what that kind of finish tells me. Like Hawk's so mad. He didn't care what happened. He wanted to kill us. You know what I mean? And that protects them and we keep the titles. And so I, you know, but people always get into uh, those are philosophical and psychological arguments that really don't have any place because it's pro wrestling. You know what I mean? Yep, <laughs> so it's. Yep. Again, we're the masters of our own destiny. We can do whatever we want to do. Um, so how are we going to, what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? You know what I mean? So I don't generally quote the observer too much, but I'm curious on this one from the April 29th, 2013 observer. Smackdown opened in Glasgow. Main event saw Sheamus and Billy Gunn and Road Dog beat the Shield via DQ. Really telling not only that the outlaws who weren't even main eventers very often in their primes and a dozen years after come back and headline now. The finish saw a DQ when they triple team Sheamus. They were about to give Sheamus the triple team power bomb when the outlaws jumped into the ring with chairs. Gunn gave Rollins a famouser. Sheamus gave him a brogue kick and the shield left. Are you surprised you're in the main event or you or, or do you take what Meltzer is saying? Uh, as an insult to the crew at the time. No, I think, look, I think it was more to his take has, has been, and I don't know if, if me and him ever had a run in or if what, what, but his take has always seemed to be negative towards us a little bit. And I, and look, maybe it is because we were old guys coming back and working with new guys and, and beating them and stuff. And maybe he's not, he's not happy about that. And And that's okay. I, you know, opinions uh they're like a-holes everybody's got them and they all stink uh but but he he just everything you read out of the observer just seems to have a negative slant and so it seems like it's somebody in there don't like me and billy or they don't like the fact that we're on there stealing spotlight where a younger guy should and, and that's a valid that's a valid point you know what i mean if that's your point uh but yeah it just feels like they're always burying us um because we were main eventers you yep. know what i mean like uh it was kind of dumbfounded me when i read that in the notes that he said like they were more than main eventers back then like okay okay uncle dave so guys uh, i just turned 40 last year and all of a sudden you start thinking about things you didn't used to think about of course i'm talking about aging but buddy i've learned a little bit about nad plus supplementation and that's why i'm happy to brag about basis from elysium health they really are the most trusted source for NAD supplementation. Their product basis is clinically proven to increase levels of NAD plus by 40%, both safely and sustainably. Let me explain. Elysium products target aging at its source. They're unlike any other health company Bruce and I have ever seen. And now they're at the forefront of NAD plus supplementation. Check this out. They have dozens of the world's best scientists. In fact, eight of them are Nobel prize winners. And this is something that we can really get behind because we understand that NAD plus is found in every single cell of your body. You may not know this, but it's responsible for creating energy and regulating hundreds of cell functions. But unfortunately our NAD plus levels decline as we age, lack of sleep, intense exercise, unbalanced diet, even sun exposure also deplete those NAD plus levels. Decreased NAD plus levels are linked to faster biological aging it can slow down vital body function. That's why basis replenishes those youthful levels of NAD plus to help promote healthy aging, support cellular energy and metabolism 
And to just reduce your general tiredness to keep you feeling good for longer. Many basis customers also report experiencing higher energy, less fatigue, and more satisfying workouts. This has been a game changer for me and my family. My wife is all about this stuff and boy, she's, she's taught me a lot. NAD plus man, I'm all in. I'm sold on basis. I recommend you try it too. It's not just going to help you with general tiredness and fatigue. It's not just going to support you in recovery from workouts. It's not just going to support energy and metabolism on the cellular level. It's also going to activate those longevity genes to promote healthy aging. And that's what we're really talking about here. So go check it out. Go to trybasiscom slash wrestle and enter promo code wrestle at checkout to save 10% off basis prepaid plans, as well as other Elysium health supplements. That's trybasiscom slash wrestle and use the promo code wrestle at checkout to save 10%. Thank you. Elysium health for sponsoring today's episode. Um, so, so at this point, you're living that rock and roll life, and reports were that you fail a drug test. Do me? you remember what you failed for? I don't believe you, Ryan. Come on. I think you're telling a fib. We got to be honest here and um, open sure with was, these I'm people. Sure it was, at this point, I'm sure it was marijuana. Okay. Uh, and, and that was a number fine, and the second time was a double that number fine. And the last fine I got after I, they find me on that WrestleMania check, um, where me and kid were on the outside, and they found find me. I think it was seventy five hundred dollars. Um, so it was a stiff, stiff uh, fine for the. That's for the, some expensive that's kind, a, bud. That's expensive weed. Uh, <laughs> but but I'm you know I'm, I was um, excuse me. I was making more money than I'd ever made. So even that wasn't a consequence to me, if that makes sense. Like, it was like, okay, you took 7,500. I still got 30 grand. I never seen that much money in my friggin' life. You know what I mean? Like it was, to me, it was like punishment. That was a, <laughs> that was not a punishment, but the next one was. So, so we'll get there. So then the next one leads to a suspension. Is that how that goes? Yeah, they well no, they just kept doubling, 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 and then finally I said, Look, I'm gonna this is what I'm gonna do. What who do I make the checks out to? And we'll just go from there. And so uh, right about that time as it started easing up a little bit, um, but still not much. With Jeff not being happy that you two are about to be broken up and you failing a drug test, is this a Molotov cocktail of sorts of bad circumstances in the run-up to the gigantic match and angle that's supposed to happen for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was. I'm sure the the people in creative were watching their baby uh, fall to pieces. Um, But, you know, that's... Look, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Uh, you know, people mess up, people make mistakes, people, you know, DUIs or whatever, and you, you kind of the show's got to go on. So I don't, I don't know if they were like going, oh my god, this guy's a, a lunatic, and he's a, yet. Uh, they got there. They got to where they were like, yeah, this road dog's a friggin' idiot, um, and it didn't take them long to get there. Uh, but they weren't there yet. You know what I mean? Is frustration building up at this point with, with for for you? Obviously, we're getting closer to to this out of the blue moment where the world changes for you. So yeah, so so no, it wasn't frustrating for me. It wasn't frustrating for me creatively. I didn't have an idea about the creative process or decision making. Um, I didn't have any idea about any of that. I just knew I was having fun with my new friend Jeff, and Jeff wasn't happy because look, I think. Back then, what the deal was, was Razor, we were working with Razor at all these shows. Razor was getting paid a ton of money. 
look, of course I wasn't. I'm not going to get close to what the guys are getting, but I was making more than I've ever made. Mm-hmm. And Jeff was obviously not making what Razor was making. And, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, if you're in that spot, pay me like I'm in that spot. But I think there's something to be said as, you know, Razor was – uh, a little higher up on the echelon than we were. So maybe he got taken care of a little more. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's, was that the final straw, but it was, uh, Jeff didn't feel like he was being treated right. And I said, yeah, I'm with you, Jeff. You know what so I mean? Do, and that's, so does that's Jeff's really frustrations, So does Jeff's frustration start making things harder for you just in terms of dealing with people? Or is he good and professional about keeping that frustration just between you guys? Yeah, 100 percent. Look, I I never even Jeff's a businessman and and he's he's a consummate businessman. He's always working. And so he was working this whole time and he never got uh, emotionally. He never had emotionally uh, upheaval or anything. You know what I mean? Like I never saw him get upset uh, during this process. It was all about him thinking, what's my next move? He's a chess player, you know? And so he was thinking about his next move from a business standpoint. And I had no idea what he was thinking about. I was just like, yeah, you're my new friend. Let's go to your daddy's house. (laughs) The next week on Raw, Cactus Jack makes his return. Uh, from Long Island, and he takes you on, but it's only a couple of minutes in before Billy interferes, and you brawl back to the same ramp where you threw Dude Love off, and in classic Jim Cornette fashion, there it is. <laughs> There's a giant box on this stage. Oh, my Lord. So and then the, all of a sudden. The only thing I remember out of this whole night, and you'll see me, I'm trying to back up and hear a second, like, a, oh, look, there's a saw. Oh, there's a saw coming out. There's a saw. <laughs> Look, there's a there's a saw. <laughs> so he did like the first three things where he just kind of cut lines in them, and so we just sat there and uh, and then he realized he had to make a door. Yes, yes. Oh, Wiley Coyote. And uh, and then when he comes out, you'll see when he's walking down the ramp, swinging this thing in a circle. There is gasoline. Flying everywhere. Look, you see. I was thinking it was sparks, but as you're saying, that's just a liquid flying. No, watch. Right uh, right here. There's fluid. You see fluid coming out? (laughs) And the whole place is just reeking of of gas, and everybody's coming out like, hey, what's going on here? So it's always uh, fun at the Halloween horror, you know, haunted houses when when the bad guys have the chainsaws, but those don't have chains on them. <laughs> uh, he had to cut through real wood right yes. there. We're talking yes. about Perry Funk. Yeah. Uh, as as Perry someone Funk. who's been around him and and had fire <laughs> and a branding iron brandished at me from him as well. Uh, what do you do when Terry Funk comes running at you with the live chainsaw? You just saw what me and Billy did. We <laughs> ran. Run. That's probably as fast as I've ever ran in my life. I, I, I'm just I, I remember seeing this as I mean, I could talk about this was just that age. I was blown away. You're like, what the heck is going on? And being a fan, know it's Terry Funk. And then just like, why is Terry Funk wearing pantyhose over his face? <laughs> Why does he have a chainsaw? It was wild. Yeah, so because he's Char- because he's Terry Funk. Chainsaw Charlie. Yeah, no, go ahead. That's what he's he does. he's Terry Funk. Like you, don't, it doesn't matter if he wears the pantyhose on his legs and the high heel shoes. Like he's Terry Funk. And for me, holy mackerel, it meant so much to me to be in the ring with him. And he was. He was older now, you know what I mean? And I, again, I'm we're working with an older guy who I, I'm young and, and want to go, and he does too. You know what I mean? It was like, 
holy crap, he throws a left hand out of nowhere that will knock you into next week. And you're going to get hit with about 15 of those per match. So, so he was, a, he was one of the toughest men I've ever been in the ring with. And that, and that doesn't mean he's the baddest. It just means he's the toughest. Nothing could hurt him, man. And me and Billy, was we so didn't try, funny. but we, we almost did. Tough but so kind. He was oh, what a baby so face. gentle and kind. And yeah, his friendly. whole family was that way. His I, whole I was, family was that way. And, and I don't know where he because you look at the the father, the the brother, they were not Terry, but Terry, he I guess he was a little like like me. He was the young wild one. You know what I mean? He was the young crazy one. Uh and he's I hope he's doing okay. You know what I mean? I, I know Mick Foley went and visited him not long ago. Um, I hope he's doing okay because we had a great time. This was, you know, after the Road Wars put us on the map, Terry Funk and Mick Foley kind of car- carried us and established that. Okay, these guys are for real. So I can't thank those four individuals enough, you know, and I, and I, I hope Terry's doing all right. I get it for me, too. I was absolutely humbled. He actually talks about uh, – he tells a story about me and his biography and and says that Vince should look me up as a cameraman in this book for when, <laughs> when I worked with him at XBW. So like he was just always the most amazing person. And yeah. I had one Terry Funk story if I can go on a Please. on a tangent. XBW Terry Funk versus Shane Douglas, Viking Hall, ECW Arena. Uh they, they take the match to the outside. I don't know why they go outside when like the whole arena can't see anything because there's no screens in there. <laughs> but they go to the outside and Terry takes a bottle from the from the ground breaks it on the wall and randomly slices his arm. I don't know why, but legit muscle falling out of his arm. And, and, and Shane's like, we're going to the finish. Just we're, we're, we're taking it back in there and going home. They, they, they go to a finish. It's over. But then after the match, Terry then grabs Shane's valet and starts pile driving her and, and, and just continues for like 10 more minutes of nonsense. Yeah. Gets in the back and slowly sitting there in the locker room, slowly lacing his uh, unlacing his boots as Shane comes in there, pissed off of what are, what are you doing? Why did you do that and all this? And starts wanting to quote fight Terry. And yeah. Terry just sits there like the legend he is as Shane's just getting hot in his face, just like, go ahead, Shane, do something. You ain't got no balls, Shane. You ain't got no balls, Shane. It it, it just always stood with me of just Terry Funk. It's so cool, man. That's how cool he is. He <laughs> so, cuts himself with a bottle, makes Shane mad, and then punks Shane out. But that, but that, look, that's what he. I probably wouldn't have fought him either. Like I just because you don't know the guy is tough as nails and and comes off as certifiable at points. Especially when you're putting your match together. Brian, what if right there, I where I light my cowboy hat on fire and I climb up that ladder and oh, holy mackerel, Terry, we should we should talk to somebody about this. Oh yeah. All right. Let's go into the deep end, see how you tread water as we get into some controversy, some heat seeking, large uh, target making moments in your career. This episode is about TNA and VKM, the voodoo. Kin Mafia. All right. Up until this point on the show, we've heard from a pretty humble BG James, one who's, you know, sought out growth, evolution, and redemption. And as we get back into these stories, and it, it seems like all of that may be out the door because the gloves were off at this time. And it was very bold to say the least. So before we get into the deep dive, Anything you want to say? You mentioned it was going to be therapeutic to talk about these stories. Anything else yeah. you want to get into before we go into detail? 
Yeah, I just want to say, like, you know, you have different segments in your life, and I, I feel like I've lived several lives. I was a, you know, the the Marine and then combat Marine, and you come back and you're a, uh, you know, a WWE superstar, and then you at post that, what do you do? And that's what we're going to get into a little bit. But it's just one of those times in my life. Um, it's not that I don't like to go back there and, and, and take this walk down memory lane. It's just that this walk down memory lane, uh, memory lane is either in hell or New York city. You know what I mean? Like, it's just <laughs> not a, not a fun jaunt for me down there. Cause this was just a bad part of a bad time in my life. And, and more so than anything, like it's going to be therapeutic to get to talk about it, talk to it and through it. But I also, uh, you know, talking about stuff helps. And that's what I've learned a lot about, uh, in the past decade, uh, through my sobriety is talking about things helps. So, you know, in, in society we're pushed, especially the, the guys are pushed to, oh, be tough, suck it up. You don't have to ask for help. Well, that's, that's, uh, you know, a load of horse crap. And, uh, and to be quite honest, quite the contrary, asking for help is a sign of strength, not weakness. So anyway, it's a bad part of my life. I want to talk about it. I want to talk through it. Um, and I'm, and I'm ready. So I hope you guys are. So Russo's in. When does the idea for VKM start to take shape? He kind of came in and he and he may have a different recollection of this, but he kind of came in with the idea. Let's do something. Excuse me. He knew that we both were. And look, at the time, personally, uh, I had hard feelings against the company, uh, against WWE. It was all of my own volition, and I never realized that uh, until post WWE career, uh, you know, and 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 sobriety kicking in. That I realized. I looked back and went like, "Oh God, what was I doing?" Um, so bong resin chair shot. This is what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's essentially Vince coming in and and, and the VKM oh, yeah. and the VKM angle come into place. Coming to yeah. you with the yeah, idea. I think, he, I think he brought that idea in there. Um, I'm sorry. I started getting real. And when I get real, I get off track. <laughs> um, but I, we were, we were angry. Billy was angry. I was angry. Uh, of course we were both in active addiction as well. And I don't think Billy would mind you telling me telling you that because we've both been sober for over 11 years now. So, so we're doing, we're doing well, but look, we were both not good personally. We were doing what we could do professionally. Vince came in with an idea that we could sink our, Drug, drug addled teeth into you know what i mean and 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 we were making a making a, a payday uh we weren't getting rich but we were getting paid and i had a i had a dude down there that got me anything i wanted and it was it, it was uh not not a good scene <laughs> i still have anxieties about the orlando airport um so all of this like like i'm saying all this was was tragedy in my life uh, but professionally, like, Hey, me and Billy are back together. Vince Russo, there he is. He was the, we, we, we all started this together. Let's see what we can do in my head. Knowing we're never going to, you can't bottle the lightning again. You know what I mean? You can't do it again, but let's do what we can do and keep our lights on. Psst. Who's going to take care of your family. If something happens to you, what would they do without your income? If you don't have a plan, you need to go to goliathlife.com. Get a quick quote for more than 20 carriers. You don't even have to leave the house. If you need a medical exam, they'll send somebody to your house or office. You're in total control. You pick the rates, you pick the payments, you pick the terms. You're in total control, but it gives you and your family peace of mind. What if something happens to your income? Hurry to goliathlife.com.
Are you feeling stuck making minimum payments on your credit card debt? SaveWithConrad.com can help, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments right now at SaveWithConrad.com. So we got the initials VKM. Obviously, we know there's some shots, you know, <laughs> in, inherently in what you're doing. But what is the gimmick actually supposed to be? Well, and that's what, you know, the first time I've ever actually thought about that uh, was today, looking at the notes. <laughs> and I'm not even kidding, because I didn't, I don't know, man, I was, was just out. You know you what I mean? That went being you guys. Yeah, we were just being us. And, and, and it was all about taking shots at the, uh, you know, throwing, throwing rocks at the people on top of the mountain. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that as we, as we speak a little further. But yeah, we was, it was, hey, man, I'm getting paid. He's got an idea. Let's do it. It's something we can sink our teeth into. So it said that your characters had creative control and therefore you guys were able to go into business for yourself. Yeah. Do you think that that was almost too inside baseball? I know Vince Leo Russo liked to blur the lines of work, shoot, shoot reality kind of stuff. Yeah. But but was it was it almost too much? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was uh uh it was inside baseball, but I also think even the people who are inside the baseball uh, know better than that. You know what I mean? Like they knew people ain't stupid. And and and, and I, I like to suspend my disbelief. But if if uh, tomorrow, uh, you know, Braun Breaker goes on or, or, or whatever, somebody walks out on a show and goes, I have creating control. Well, that's horse crap. You don't. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I think they just didn't believe it. I think it was too far. I think it was too far to to suspend their disbelief that we have creative control. <laughs> it's getting hot. It's getting juicy. I got to I got to wipe off the sweat. All right. Dog. You guys shoot some vignettes that you're driving around searching for your target and your car breaks down right in front of WWE headquarters. <laughs> We've talked in our first two episodes about how guys talk about this and that, but they never have a payoff in mind. What's the payoff going into this angle of going into attack mode on WWE Hunter? So, so Yeah, so what I've been told, and to this day, I don't know it's any different, that they were going to give a million dollars uh, if we could, if we would have a match with those guys, they were going to pay a million dollars to have a match. And, and look, if you, if you were a millionaire and you, and a multi, multi, multi millionaire, and somebody told you, Hey man, if we do this, we might can get a match with the other company. And man, what if we cross breed, you know what I mean? We cross bred our, our, our products. And we did that. And we, what you, like you could sell a million on millionaire on that pretty easy. I, I would go like, oh, okay, crap. If they're, if you're telling me that might happen, I'm down. Um, and so I think Dixie was down, you know what I mean? There was a million dollars on the line and it's amazing. I, I, you know, I, I, I never really thought we would have it, but I thought, well, if they're willing to give the money, maybe something will happen here. And look, all that may be phony baloney and it was behind the scenes. And I, and I was just, high and don't know the truth. Uh, but that's what's what they told me was, Hey, we get, we're going to give them a million bucks. If they do this. Who shot these segments with you? Was me and Rush? Billy and, uh, JB and Russo, Jeremy Borash and Vince were, Russo. Were you guys just giving carte blanche and what you can do and they'd air it or was oh, there yeah. an actual game plan or? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, there was a game plan because we had, uh, 
we had Venture so with us. And so, so, but Jeremy Borash is very creative too. So just all of us four together coming up with different stupid things to do. And it's, I mean, it's totally just slapstick comedy, you know what I mean? But it's, it's fun to do that. Uh, and I feel like it's a pretty fun to watch it. Uh, but to your earlier point, there's no payoff. So we're just doing it. It's like an exercise in futility. You know what I mean? We're just doing it to put content on the air. Um, I think we all kind of knew, like, we're not going to fight these guys. Given JB his flowers, as the kids say, man, he has been involved in creating some groundbreaking, monumental, yeah. historic. Hardy, Hardy compound stuff. Undertaker uh, stuff. Uh, yeah, Undertaker. Oldyard, Old yard, yeah. All, all the uh, all the matches. Uh, remember at the uh, at the. Uh, you know, we did those cinem- cinematic matches. Yep. Like he was the dude behind all that. JB is a, is a genius, man. Absolutely. And, uh, I don't want to uh, forget uh, Jimmy Jack Funk either. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Wong Long is my boy. And I saw him and him and JB at the live event or the live show that we did with Eric and Jeff uh, and Steve Regal out, out in, uh, in Dallas. Yeah. I got to see him before that too. Great guys, talented individuals, and they always just make Phenomenal stuff. Yeah. yeah. Talented right. dudes. Did Jeff or did, did Jared or anyone in TNA come to you and kind of like, eh, is this really what you want to do? Did you get, did you get someone to, to give the other side or was this just, we're all in and going for it? Yeah. I look, I think everybody was all in because look, it was just one of the little stories on the show that was going. So it was, uh, like I said earlier, maximize our strengths. What do we do good? We cut promos. Okay. That's pretty good. So, cause these two old guys can have a wrestling match or whatever, but that's what every other segment on the show is. Why don't we have a little, so I think creatively they were probably happy for like something to fill a segment on the show. Like, Oh, this is okay. So, okay. So here we go. You're going to take it up another notch because you're going <laughs> to, you're going to fire a shot in person, BG. Coming from the torch, I know you didn't read the sheets, but here, this is what the torch said. BG James, Kip James, Jeremy Borash, and Vince Russo visited the WWE house show last Friday in Knoxville, Tennessee. As fans were entering the arena, they goofed off, handed out flyers, and interviewed some fans. When one fan said they just bought a ticket and it was third row, BG interviewed him and made issues of the low ticket sales. TNN's website has a story that BG and Kip purchased tickets to the show and bought their excuse me and brought their cease and desist papers into the arena for Triple H to sign on behalf of DX. During that main event, <laughs> Triple H waved at BG and Kip, but of course didn't sign the papers. <laughs> BG encouraged DX to come to Orlando, Florida for a live event where Triple H could sign the papers in person. Said BG on TNA's website, unfortunately, our attempts to serve Levesque were unsuccessful. We also noticed many of the fans' attempts to stay awake during the main event were also unsuccessful. The good news is the fat, oily guy was nowhere to be seen. At least the great fans in this city of Knoxville, Tennessee, were spared that suffering tonight. That's funny stuff, man. I still believe that. I mean, that fat oily guy. You, you're tough. You're confident. You, you're on drugs, so you're probably a little bit overconfident. <laughs> but is this a little bit inst- intimidating and scary to actually put this plan into motion? All right, man. 
dog, we did it. We got through this episode, and I don't we think did. it was too painful. I don't it? think it was either. Look, like I said, it was therapeutic, man. I appreciate you guys kind of walking and talking me through it uh, and going with me on the on the journey. Uh, we're going to continue to take these journeys and hopefully have a good time while we're doing it. Because if it's uh, not a good time, it's called work, and I refuse to do that. Man, from Chainsaw Charlie to the Voodoo Kin Mafia. This podcast will quickly remind you of the scope of Road Dog's career, and I promised it would be entertaining. By the way, you can check out more of the Road Dog at StarCast as well. That's right. He's going to be there, too. Okay, the final show I want to highlight this week in our Something Else to Wrestle With episode for new content is the Nature Boy. And as mentioned earlier, if you're a Ric Flair fan, then you need to make every effort to join us for the ultimate Ric Flair experience in Nashville at the end of July. So go to StarCast.com, grab your tickets now, or check out StarCast with Bruce to watch it from the comfort of your own home. I'm telling you, you will be entertained. And speaking of entertained, Rick and his son-in-law are back together again. That's right, they're reunited. As the duo that originally launched Conrad Thompson into podcast fame, They've reconnected for their brand new show to be the man with Ric Flair. And we're going to kick it all off with Rick talking through his retirement match at WrestleMania with the showstopper, the main eventer, Mr. WrestleMania, Shawn Michaels. Let's track it here, Steve. Where we where it feels like, oh, this is gonna be it. Here comes the super kick, and he hesitates. That was all his idea. That was great. David Carr wants to know what's Sean's best asset as a worker? Everything about him. (laughs) I can't sing out one thing, just he's just the greatest. Uh, Adam Simon wants to know, did Sean say anything when you came out of retirement for the Hulkamania tour of Australia in 2009? No, he knew that. I, the only reason I ever worked ever again, guys, is very simply divorce. That's the only reason I ever went back to work anywhere. Paying lawyers and paying alimony. And that, that's just basically the honest God truth that that can, that can kill you. You start doing 50% of everything four different times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris Mason says, gents, I just met the lady who is now my wife when this show was on. She'd never watched wrestling before. I showed her this match and she was hooked on the drama and the story told by both of you. Not really a question just to thank you for the years of entertainment. This night was no different. And you made a new fan that night. Enjoy your last match, Rick. You deserve it. So lots of sentiments like that, that we've read over this last week. Um, it's got to make you feel good to have people go out of their way to just thank you for the memories and show you all the respect that you've clearly deserved for decades now. You have no idea. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to put it into words. It just, uh, it means more than memorabilia. It means more than anything. Uh, Michael says, uh, how much of the tribute on raw the next night? Did you know of the show in advance? Like I would guess you knew about steamboat, Harley, the horseman, et cetera. We're going to come out. Nobody. I didn't know 
I didn't know it was noon that day. I had no idea who was there. Undertaker and Vince coming now after Raw and off the air though. How cool was that? The coolest of all. Yeah. The coolest of all. Yeah, and to think I could screw all that up just because I got married twice to make two terrible mistakes in marriage. But that's who I was. There's that figure four. And look at the fans. Boy, they're with it. Yeah, it was crazy. Look at him selling. He just, he just knows what's going on in the business. He gets it. If you can... If the guys understood that <laughs> this is right here, Sean, he's making the people believe it. Yes. I'm not doing nothing. Right. Sean fighting for it, shaking his head with the long hair. I mean, it's one of the reasons guys with long hair it could shake. I mean, it, it, people get see all that. When I used to cut myself, I just whip my hair around to throw the blood on the marks. They loved it. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't got enough hair to whip it, whip it around in Nashville, but I'll have a blade. Oh God! Listen to you. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Shit, I can't work with them. I don't cut myself. <laughs> oh, my God. I just won't take a blood center that day. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> that I'll never forget how to do. If I see you walking around backstage beforehand with a vat of coffee, I- I'm coming to get Megan to take it away. <laughs> I know you told me that used to be your trick, just to yeah. drink a bunch of coffee before you go out there. You'll be Hell fine. yeah! Hell yeah. <laughs> Break a sweat and get the blade. Look at the ta- look at the tape is on my fingers there. No oh, yeah. blade. I'll be taped up. Don't worry, in Nashville. Oh man, there's the big super kick. Look at there. And man, look at the crowd just hushed. Nobody wants it to end. I think they all know what the story is going to be, but it doesn't mean they're happy about it. They don't want it. It's not going to happen on this one though. Let's track it, Steve. Sweet chin music than that, and it still didn't keep Flair down for the three count. But Rip Flair continues to prove why he is the man. Flair has survived this amazing effort by Shawn Michaels. Mr. WrestleMania couldn't pull the trigger earlier. Finally did instinctively. Now HBK is tuning up the band again. Screaming at Flair to get to his feet. Well, they are this baby the end of old Yeller. Michael said that he was going to take Flair out behind the barn and put him out of his misery, but my question is in the heart of Shawn Michaels, can he do it? Michaels has got to be conflicted. The classic Ric Flair nut shot. My God, what a reaction it got from the crowd, too. Nobody saw it coming, dude. 
and then Sean's going to kick out. But man, how well done was that? You know, when you get a reaction like that, you're on to something, right? Well, you know, I can do that again. <laughs> <laughs> that always gets a pop. Something else I learned from Harley. <laughs> this is uh, such an iconic match and so important in your career history and Sean's. Oh, and look at there. Figure four of his own, if you will. Man, what a what a special moment this is. Where does this rank as far as most memorable matches for you all time? Oh God, I can't think of one more. I, I actually can't. I mean, I had you know good matches with Harley. I, I'm obviously the ones with Steamboat I had are the best ones of my career, but. I, th- th- emotionally and everything, this was like, I mean, the whole world, my family's there. I mean, and, and, um, his beautiful wife is sitting right next to, uh, my family. I mean, it's just, it was, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, how, how, I mean, how much better does it get? I don't remember anybody seeing anything. I watched a lot of WrestleManias, but I haven't seen like anything like this ever. No, it was super special. I mean, Charlotte's in the front row. Uh, my wife's in the front row. David and his wife, Robin, are in the front row. And there's Reed. Yep. Uh, the whole clan is there, man. And yep. pretty cool deal. And here come the chops back and forth. What's the structure of the match here as far as, oh, another super kick? There's two now. Where would we be in, uh, in wrestling, uh, terminology? What, what stage of the match would we be in right now? Home run, the home stretch. Yeah. Now we see Sean Michael scooting over to the corner and he's going to set up the big farewell here. Look how he sells to get over there. Hesitating. No. Wants to fight. Oh, my God, what a shot! Michaels will be yes, yes. What's uh, what's Sean saying to you there after the match? I love you. To make you pick right, right now. Mm. He immediately gets out of the ring, wants you to have your moment. You're going to get a big standing ovation here from the crowd, but you're clearly overcome with emotions. And what a great finish. I'm sorry. I love you. And the super kick. I'm crying again. I watched it. What were you thinking in the ring right there? Right this moment, what's going through your mind? I made it. Because <laughs> I had so much lack of self confidence going in there. It makes me cry now. I, I wanted to show the shot of my family. But... There it is, that iconic replay. I'm sorry. I love you. Down goes Flair. 
and your chin was quivering, man. You were overcome with emotion as soon as he hit it. Yeah. Let's check it here, Steve. Flair gamely made it to his feet and said, come on, come on, give it to me. So what do you think, Rick, watching all this back? What a special night. What a special match. What a special moment. Mm-hmm. I wish I hadn't made the mistake in life. I had to get married again and had to work again. <clears throat> and what we forever thankful <clears throat> to WWE and to, her, and, and to um, Sean and Hunter. <clears throat> they made the weekend for me. Doesn't get any better. This such an awesome moment, such an awesome memory. We do know that that did yeah. wind up not being the end for you. You did the Australian tour and did a handful of other things, but of course you had a little run with Impact. But we're gonna get to do it one last time, man. Maybe give the uh, the storybook ending part two that we uh, we started here. A WrestleMania 24, but man, that was special. Was it not? Yeah. Very special. And it was so cool to see the whole fam there readers there in the front row and just such a great moment for professional wrestling and Ric Flair fans. And, uh, I'm excited. We got to watch it together today, man. I don't know what I expected, but this exceeded my expectations and I appreciate you being a good sport and jumping on here and watching oh, a pretty emotional time here. Wow. I love it. And you forget about times like this in your life. They were so special. Wow. RJ Krasinski wants to know, Rick, what was the best venue in regards to the venue itself and the fans that you wrestled in that people may not think was a great venue? Greensboro, Virginia. Greensboro, North, uh, North Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. Greensboro, North Carolina was a venue for- 16,000 people. It was insane. Uh, I mean, I mean it, Chicago is phenomenal. St. Louis is phenomenal. But, you know, for me in North Carolina, Greensboro is insanity. But of course, it doesn't have the name recognition that 
It's not that big a city, but boy, you talk about a wrestling city. Unbelievable. Great, great, great. Greensboro was our, was, was Crockett to Madison Square Garden. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, everybody, everybody came through there. I mean, everybody. Uh, the Funks, the Briscoes, you know, Johnny Valentine. I know that the Johnny Valentine tribute when it, for the title, for the United States title championship. Um, and all those guys came just paying tribute to John and, uh, Man, what a what a party we had afterwards. I gotta tell you a funny story. So we're, we're at the holiday inn and Klondike Bill and Paul Jones were walking out of the party and, and there were some some two guys, you know, they smacked around smacked around uh, Klondike and smacked around Paul Jones. And uh and then uh that <laughs> The guy apparently said to Paul Jones, where are the rest of these phony wrestlers? Wow. And, and some girls said they're in that room right there. Now, think about this. In the room, Harley, Slater, Dusty, both the funks, Murdoch. <laughs> They walk into that room, and brother, they take an awakening. <laughs> Let's just say that we, they went in the hospital, and we were asked to leave the hotel. They both went, went out in anglers. Yeah, definitely. Well, bad day for them. Good yeah. day for you. What, what, who wants to walk into that group? No. So, so I've seen people do it stupid enough. Call out Dick Slater or Harley. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Harley. What did you say? <laughs> As the left is coming over the top of the smoke, <laughs> and then right. the head up with a broken nose. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, incredible. It, it was, the old days were a special time. <laughs> a little different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, just slightly. Uh, Don wants to know as NWA champion, you've traveled to lots of different territories. Which one was your favorite one to work? Florida. No brainer. Just because of the, the West, Palm, West Palm beach on Monday, Tampa, Tuesday, Cowboys, Tuesday night, TV, Wednesday morning, Miami, Miami beach, Wednesday night, Thursday, Jacksonville, Friday, Sarasota, back to Tampa. Sunday, the Bayfront Center, back to Tampa, party all night. Our Saturday, Sunday, Orlando, drink uh, all the way back from Orlando, and gone the next day, Monday, to another territory. Uh, Dave McClay says, I did not sleep a lot in Florida. <laughs> no, you were having fun every night. Every day you're at the beach, you're in good weather. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> I wonder why you're in Tampa now. I wonder yeah. why. Forget the beach. I was at the Yucatan liquor stand, the Ocean Club, and the Dolls with Joe and Dino. <laughs> Two of your friends. Well, there's that. And that's why you need to stay in Huntsville. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Thompson agrees. <laughs> she agrees. Whoever we're going to have her as a guest on the show. <laughs> yeah, we can make that happen. This is stupid. Can you imagine? How long would she last? Would she make it to our first commercial? I don't know. Yeah, what get her and Ashley together to, to shoot on me? 
Yeah, you really want to roast come the 29th? Let's just get the wives up there and just let everybody else sit in the front row. Hey, my friend Dave Burkoff called me this morning. He's bringing eight people buying the biggest table they can get. And, uh, I love it. They, he's the guy that he's like he's worth $500 million. He's the guy that created MRI. The, oh, wow. Yeah, Dave's coming. That's Call awesome. Me. He said, we're coming to support how much or where we're going. <laughs> I said, I'll have a his wife and Kelly are friends, so I'll, uh, I'm having Kelly do all that. Let's keep the train on the tracks, man. We've uh, we've paid some bills, but we've actually got one more fun little tag match, and then we'll wrap this one up. This time, it's Rick and Arn against the Rock and Roll Express from 1990. Let's roll that beautiful bean footage, Mr. Kaufman. Is this in Asheville, North Carolina? Yeah, let me check that. Thing. Beg your pardon? Uh, Bo- Beaumont, Texas. 3,500 oh. fans here. Okay. And this is uh, Gary Michael Capetta on the call. Of course, by this point, WCW is now the thing. Ted Turner has purchased Jim Crockett promotions. Uh, we're still, uh, I guess, suffering through the Jim Hurt era. I know that's the way Rick would phrase it. But uh, here comes the champ. <laughs> Rick Flair with the 10 pounds of gold, Arn Anderson with the television championship. Pretty big time match here. The rock and roll express against Rick and Arn. Gosh, you know, this is the, the WCW. Is this the WCW era right here? You yes, sir. 1990. Yeah. This is when, uh, Eric Bischoff. Yeah, this, this, was there, was, I love this one right here. That walking eye with Arn and I. Just holding up the four fingers, man. There we go. Oh, yes. Isn't that amazing? This, that everywhere I go, even like this weekend at MegaCon in Orlando, every fifth person I took a picture with, and I, let's say I did 100 and let's say I did 300 photo ops in two days, every, every third or fourth person would want this. Yeah. Everybody wants to hold the four not up. This, not this, but this. I got you. It's the same thing with being Robert. This. <laughs> I look like I look like I've been out the night before. <laughs> oh, I already got a little hair there. Okay. <laughs> he hadn't been he hadn't been Robert Gibson yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. This was uh one of the greatest times. I think this is when WCW was coming in, and uh, Robert and I, they were still with us here, but. I think we was on our way out, Rick. I believe. I don't know. I think the next year is when, uh, or maybe it was later this year. That's when you uh, tried being a heel persona as Richard Morton uh, with the uh, with the York Foundation. Yeah, that's when Robert got hurt. That's right, and I was by myself. What What, what did Robert have done? Well, Rick, uh, I think I might have told you this story, and I want everybody to listen to it. Uh, I come into the dressing room and Robert's sitting over in the corner and I asked him, I says, uh, what's wrong? He, he said, I got hurt last night. So I just walked off and I, and I'm thinking to myself, hell, you didn't even get in the ring last night. Uh, so I came back and asked him, he told me when nobody was there and his wife ran over him in the car, this is between uh, me and you. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's between the world now. Yeah, I thought I told you this story before. Uh, I, I, do, I, do, I know, I know, I know, I know who else is involved. I don't want to bring that up, though. 
Yes, I know the but, story. I, uh, but I told him to just get to the ring. I get to people, so when you come in, fall down. Yeah, was that Sherry? <laughs> huh? Was that Sherry? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's part of life. Hell, I, yeah. like I told you earlier, I don't yeah. care. But she, but what I'm look saying at, is, hey, look at Iron. Talk about a working fool, man. So many yeah. intangibles that he did. It's so fun to watch. Iron? Oh, shit. Yeah. Unbelievable. Hey, the first time I worked with Iron, I didn't know he was left handed. Yeah. He, t- he told me to block the punch. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. He told me to block the punch, and I, I threw the arm, bam, hit me right in the face. You know, if, if Iron if Iron could have handled travel schedule, which I think he could have, I don't know whether he would have enjoyed it as much as I did. Iron could have been a world champion. Cool. As a single. I I, have, I I feel very strongly about that. Yeah. I'm not just, trying it, it, I'm not saying I, I'm not implying he couldn't, but you don't realize what it is to go from working in a territory to traveling around the world every day. Oh, I know, you know it. You gotta really wow. like the business. Check this out, man. Unbelievable. Bam. Thank oh, you guys. Man. It got fast paced here, boys. Look, hey, look at all the four horsemen crowd. Yeah. <laughs> See how they done turned them already? Yeah. They done turned them, done turned them already. I love Rick. I used to love to do that spot with you. The stiff leg. Yeah. We yes. had fun. I don't even think we talked about it and we just did it. We knew it. Well, but you. I don't know if it's a TV Look tape. Iron calling timeout. <laughs> 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 little things like that make a big difference, man. Well, the little things is what makes a match. Yeah. To me, Rick, mm-hmm. uh, when you put all the little things together, that's one giant big thing. Yeah. So I, got, I want you guys to listen. Look at this. Oh, this page. is where. I got this from junk from JYD. (laughs) 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 Who was thinking that? (laughs) Hey, Rick, look at the turnbuckles. See the pads? Look at the pads, roots. He did that with with Jimmy with with, with Boogie Woogie Man every night. (laughs) He said, said, You fall on your face and I'll do the turnbuckles. Let's get the hell out of here. Boogie woogie. Yes. When the music's over, the match is over. Yes. I, I felt okay. the same way about the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> okay. When he got through shaking the ropes, the match was over. <laughs> was he stiff with you, Rick? Who? Ultimate Warrior. No. He could okay. bring an egg. You know, I mean, I've, I've never felt him at all. But you know, you know, I'm, I, I, no, I, I still I do a lot. I didn't mean that he wasn't. I meant. No, that absolutely was not stuff for me. Okay, what I was saying is, uh, you know, I do a lot for NWA. You know, I, I still work for several yeah. companies, but man, days I get in, I get to read these guys. Man, you think you owe them money? Yeah. God, <laughs> oh, that, they were green. That's that's the thing too about Steve. Sting was just he wasn't a, you know, he's a big strong guy too. But you, you never, you never felt him. Yep, yeah, Bob talked about the guys these days. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, holy crap. I, you know, I told the guy the other day, I said, man, I can't sell for you if you're going to knock my damn teeth out. You know, I can't sell that. Or hit me across the back so hard that you lose, you know, you yeah. get the breath knocked out of you. Look at the crowd in Beaumont, Texas, which was oh, a yes. tough town. They're all about it. And Steve, our producer here, I want you to pay attention because 
I think there's a, a huge pop. If this is the right match. I remember, uh, Mr. Gibson's going to put the figure four on Mr. Anderson and the crowd goes bananas for it. I mean, look at you guys firing off at each other here, chops and punches and up and down. And here we go. That was look at that backdrop. Wow. Oh, check this out. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> <coughs> <laughs> down goes flair what a great sequence hey Another hey hurricane rana hey and, and you wonder why ricky morton was over that's why right there <laughs> thank you rico no you know it's one of those things where you look at it back and, and i'm breaking the codes that i say you just gave me a big backdrop but to make that look right i had i had to not sell it nearly long enough to get up and take the uh um victory roll but it's one of those times you just gotta you gotta do what you feel is right so then i sold i oversold it afterwards this is great man did you see the rules rudes turnbuckle pads yeah how cool was that (laughs) a shoe deal in wrestling way back when yes and i and i love this part too because this was before the corporate era rick's got his long blonde hair and i love it Rico? Yeah. Yeah, look at that hair. I think about, every time I see it, I think about it. Oh, I know. <laughs> that, that's the best stuff right there. When you, you, you can tie up with a guy, man, and people know the difference. Oh, yeah. Check this out, man. This is great stuff. And that was cool because you, you see that happen all the time to start a match, but here we are in the middle of one, and you guys broke it out, and it still worked. Oh, yes. Here we go. There's the track it, track it. There we go. Oh, yeah. See, arm breaks it up, yeah. <laughs> which makes it even better. The young <laughs> from Tennessee have got Flair. just love that plot and the big reaction. Uh-huh. Boy, I think we've seen that kind of idea before right there. Well, that's more set up in the Luger match. All right. Hard right, call it timeout again. <laughs> Guys, that was uh, – yeah. Phenomenal. And I guess this, you see this, it's not an eight minute match either. No. You know, we're giving the people, the people are having fun. They're watching this match and we're, uh, we must've did an angle. Robert's got a back brace on. That is, I just now noticed that. Yeah. I, I see. I love that. The way I could take that bump with that. that what do you call that? Have a in, in yeah. In the Gary, That's right. But you know, that. Back then, like the Hurricane Corona. Ah, time on again. <laughs> <laughs> but things have changed, Rick. Because I, I was saying, well, go the Hurricane Corona. Remember, that was a front head scissors <laughs> at our time. You, you tell yeah. me, hit me with the front head scissors. Yeah. And uh, well, you quit, didn't you call it a victory roll? Was it like that? No, the victory roll is the, is the one. If you remember where I. We beat Ivan and him for the world titles the first time. Okay. It's when I, was when I jumped on his shoulders from behind. And oh, him that, over. That, oh, that's a victory roll. Okay. Yeah, there were front head scissors. Okay. That's the way I used to – Well, I do because you'd call it. <laughs> you, yeah, I know. And, I, I'd taken it both ways where some guys yeah. would, would do their legs and arch their back and take it like Steamboat gave it to me a different way. 
Well, that's the way Robert and I did our tag team. Most of the time, Robert would do that first, and then he had head scissors towards me. He'll come up, tag him off, gut shot, and I do the Hurricane Karata. Whoa, that's good stuff, man. <laughs> it's fun to go back and see, you know, just how wrestling has evolved. I mean, it was so fun watching 87. Here we are three years later, and you can tell it's lit a little different. The ring's a little different. Hebner's no longer here. Now Nick Patrick is. How was Nick Patrick as a referee, Rick? Oh, real good. Real Nick good. worked too. See, Nick worked before he refereed. Yeah. He understood the business. Mm-hmm. You know, he was uh, a really nice guy too. Yeah, he's humble. You know, Jody, how his dad Jody passed away, what, a couple of years ago? Yes. Oh, did he? You know, I, I, I hadn't heard that. I was just going to ask you about Jody. Yeah, he passed away maybe a year or, or two years ago. I, I, I just came to the Carolinas when the Assassins had finished their run. Uh, it was Jody and um, uh, I can't think of the guy's name. I, I know his name. Give me a second. I'm on a 45-second delay. They, them against the Kentucky Renesto, Renesto, uh, yeah, uh, Renesto, yeah. But yes, he, they, 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 and uh, the Kentuckians threw huge money in the Carolinas. Now was that Grizzly Smith? Yes. Cool. Oh, there's our finish. Kick out on one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still laying there. <laughs> you damn right. I'm just messing with you, buddy. <laughs> he pulled a Harley race on me. No, <laughs> gosh, Rick, you, you, you have that charisma that you're naturally a world champion. And, uh, it's what I'm trying to tell my, you know, my son. Oh, look at that. That's oh wow. Nice. nice. And that That's, was a great little piece of business there. Arn just pulled Rick out of the way as a charging Ricky Morton. Now doesn't hit Rick and instead just flies right into the ring post and he collapses to the outside of the ring. Yeah. This is great. I hit my head on the metal there. Though so that's which, which makes sense. Man, these guys are getting a hell of a match here tonight. Yes, they are, Rick. With you and Arn in the ring, anybody's going to get a hell of a match. <laughs> Guys, this is great. Uh, <laughs> so fun to go back and watch this. You can tell how much fun you guys are having. And, and what a hall of fame crew here, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair and the rock and roll express. I know it's WCW, but boy, it sure does feel like Jim Crockett promotions and fans <laughs> in Texas are absolutely loving it. And, and when you see something like this, Conrad, we're all having fun because we have had one hell of a match here. Uh, you can feel it. Your drilling's going, and you and you and you want to give it that extra little boost. You always do. I'm I'm watching the little things that, that Arn and and Ricky are doing. It said, "Oh, this is called in the ring. This is not called in the back." Right. Oh uh, uh, yes, and it's. Thank you guys. I forgot. Really, sometimes you forget how great that era was until you go back and watch it. Yeah, I don't know that Rick was having the most fun in the world here in the Jim Hurd era, but it, it, it they did produce some good content. If you were a fan at home, there's a lot of great wrestling that happened here, you know, with the Steiner brothers, with the Rock and Roll Express, with the Horsemen, 
I look at you up top. Flying crossbody for Arn. Cool. Man, look at uh, look at Rick's hair go, baby. No, no. Yeah, what it's you see, they keeping. I'm selling, but they're keeping me alive. That's what heels don't know how to do anymore. How to keep the baby face alive? Well, hell, you can't find a baby face to sell anymore. But, but this is uh, why the people are standing on their feet. Rick, I used to love to work with Arn too. Uh, him and Tully, you know, oh, we, yeah. God, they were great. Yeah. You know, we, I know we did a lot of history with the Midnight Express and we, uh, you know, the expresses versus expresses, but yeah. like I was saying, when you go into a route with another tag team, oh, look at that. Look at that. That's a million dollar move right there. <clears throat> you can't yes. cheat that. Now everybody's ready for these tags. Can Ricky get to his corner before Arn can get to his, uh, Man, look at look at the side of your face, Rick. Yeah. You really did get busted open pretty good yeah. there. Are you talking to me? No, I'm just Tell saying me. it looks I, like Rick on the on the I, left I, side I, of the face. He's I, pretty he's bleeding pretty I good. I hit myself on that turnbuckle when you when you took the corner. Oh really? Okay. I'm just, yeah, it was a, it. a fantastic bump that went unnoticed by you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yes. Whoa! Wow! Getting even. Don't hulk up on me yet. No, no, you're you're telling me start to stand up. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not doing nothing. You don't tell me to do. <laughs> you hear me? You're, that's when you're telling me stand up. There's a little teeny boppers. Yeah! Whoa! Yeah, I think we're getting wide shots because of the blood. Now look at this right here, man. This is so good. Oh God! That's got to be shotgun, and that ought to do it. Oh, and you throw off, Rick. Look at you, you damn cheater! Damn it! (laughs) What a great match! What a great time! Hell yeah! You know, some of the guys that's out here watching on your podcast, if you are workers in our business. You need to go back and get you a pencil pad. What an amazing opportunity to listen to two all-time greats like Ric Flair and Ricky Morton break down some of our favorite matches from when we were kids. Rick is unfiltered at this point in his life. He doesn't care. And he and Conrad have excellent chemistry. There's no doubt about it. So make it a priority to add this one to your weekly listening rotation. And I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Again, check us out on adfreeshows.com. You can find every one of these podcasts in addition to the Kurt Angle Show, 83 Weeks, Grilling JR, My World with Jeff Jarrett, plus the shows you heard today, all early and ad-free, along with video versions. Plus, there's a ton of bonus content. You get shows with Mike Kyoto, Dr. Tom Pritchard, The Game Event, yes, a monthly wrestling-themed game show for our listeners where they can win prizes that have included tickets to wrestling shows and pay-per-views hosted by one of Bruce's close personal longtime friends, Efren. So check all that out over at adfreeshows.com. And don't forget, StarCast.com. Join us in July. I'm telling you, you will not regret it. An experience of a lifetime unlike any other. And that, my friends, is going to do it for this week. On behalf of Bruce and Conrad, thank you for joining us. 
And we will talk to you all again next week on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.